But I have always been that person to dumpster dive. I think that's the term that they've given it. The reason that I didn't give a fuck is because I was like, these people are donating this stuff to the poor. And bitch, I am poor as fuck. <laughs> hey guys, and welcome back to another episode of Wellness Fucking Wednesday with Nix. Today I wanted to talk to you about home and what is home and what makes a home a home and what makes it special. So if you've followed my journey the last four years, or even if you've just started by listening to our Wellness Wednesday podcast, you would have heard that I've lived quite a outrageous fortune type of life <laughs> in my 34 years on earth. And I'm going to just kind of go through that and talk about all the different homes that I've had and it'll give you, a, I would hope that it would give you a little bit of an understanding that home is really where you make it. I feel as though a lot of these situations that I've gotten myself into in the, you know, in the years that, especially when I was on heavy drugs, obviously I didn't want to be in those situations. But in saying that and in reflecting now, I needed to because what those situations gave me is a better understanding and more gratitude for where I am today in the home that I've built, not only for me, but my family as well, which I'll get into shortly. But if I take it back, my first home, and it will always be my home, is Ahipara, which is at the top of the North Island in New Zealand. And I'm just going to tell you a little bit about what our homestead looks like. So it's one, if you can imagine, it's one big massive patch of land. Um, we've got two buildings on that big patch of land. One is my Nan's house. And I remember, you know, growing up in, in Nan's house and we would, you know, close off all the all the doors to the bedrooms and turn the lights off in the hallway and, and somebody would play their blinds man bluff and there'd be, you know, 10 or 15 kids all in one little hallway trying to hide from one person who's got a, a blindfold on. Oh my God, we, we were punching holes in the walls, my poor nan. And it would have been loud as hell. It would have been loud as hell. And in the kitchen, you know, the adults... They're probably going to be like, God, I can't believe she said that. Hey, I'm just telling the truth. The adults would be all gathered around a big table, smoking up a storm, gambling. You know, there was cards and big, big uh, piles of coins and, and notes. And, and that was them. They were gambling and, and we were living our life in the mornings. You know, my nan would have um, the fire going in the kitchen and all the kids would be gathered around the table there'd be about oh, I don't know about three loaves of bread all toasted and a big pot of porridge and we'd all be sitting around this table just yarning like kids do and and these are the memories have, that I have the other building that's on our big plot of land is like a big open marae um, if you don't know what a marae is it's like just, I'm sitting in it right now, actually. I'm back in Ahipara as I do this podcast. And I'm just looking around and 
it's one big open room and in that open room you've got a kitchen you've got in one section just a fuckload of mattresses like oh my god there's so many oh hang on guys Sorry about that. If you can hear motorbikes, if you know Ahipare, you know that that is the sound of Ahipare. My dad's out there. He's just literally put a hangi in the in the hangi cooker for our dinner tonight. And he's going to shoot back down to the beach shortly. So that motorbike sound won't last for long. Back to the Porokom. This is the building. This is what we call this building here. Oh my God, Dad! Hang on, my dad's coming back. So my dad has just called out to me and um, he wants me to literally watch the hangi cook while I'm doing this podcast. It's, out it's outrageous, but he's, you know, you can't say anything to our elders, whanau. Um, so I'm just going to sit here, do this podcast and look out the window and watch the fucking fire burn. Oh my God. Anyways, this building, which is where... All the kids slept when I was growing up. Big open plan. For me, the Porokom was my first home. Children running around. I remember my nan had a piano in here. I don't know why the fuck she would have had a piano in here because it was loud as fuck. <laughs> I remember the aunties just yelling at us, you know, and two seconds later, as soon as they walk out, we're fucking doing it again. We're jumping on the mattresses and all of this. But these are the memories that are locked in for my life. Even sitting here right now, those feelings of being a child come flooding back the minute I step foot in this fucking building. I can't get this feeling anywhere else in the world. I can't get this feeling of my inner child wanting to fucking run around and jump on mattresses. Now, honestly, I'm just, I'm too big. And um, I can't be fuck climbing off the mattresses or <laughs> standing back up off the floor. But, ooh, that inner child, she, she keen. <laughs> but when I say this is the only place I get to feel like a like a kid again, I fucking mean it. I feel as though whenever I leave here, I have to be this strong, independent, powerful, staunch mother, you know, businesswoman, social media personality. I've got to be, I've got to wear all these fucking hats. But let me tell you something, the minute I get back here to the Porticom, I can strip down to nothing and feel absolutely comfortable and content. And this is the only place in the world that I can do that. So this is my first home, will always be my home. I have had many a home, as I'm sure you guys have as well. I remember having my first, my first home. I didn't own it. I was renting it at the age of 15 when I had my first son and me and the father had to get out, you know, and uh, in my mother's words, if you're old enough to open your legs, you're old enough to get out there and, and start your fucking family. And so that's what we did. We got a three-bedroom home in Whangarei. You know, I was 15 and Trey's father was 16. We had to give up school, obviously. We had to play mummies and daddies, just kind of being under my parents' wing and being very dependent on my parents for my school lunch, 
for my dinners, for my lunches, you know, never ever once had to even think about paying a bill or paying rent or anything like that. And all of a sudden, it, it literally, even when I reflect back to it now, it literally felt like the flick of a switch and I was now in my own home, you know, getting up, making my child's breakfast, cleaning the house, putting my child into the pram, making a bottle and packing a couple of nappies and walking down to the working income to try to get a food grant or try to get some help to pay pay the rent, you know, and um, and then we'd go home, I'd bath the baby and cook the man some eggs, as they would say, pretty much. Um, he would come home from work at about 5.30, walk in, his dinner was in the oven, you know, the baby was in bed and the house was clean and that was my life. So it was from going from under my parents' wing to now, you know, having to pretty much step up to the plate and turn this, uh, you know, house into a home for my for my family. From there, you know, I, I just always had my own place, uh, my own homes. I'm just going to move quickly over to uh, when my son passed away, however, in 2013, how my life changed and what my home now looked like. So at this time when Alaska passed away, we were living in Perth. And if you are a part of my journey, you would know that that's where we were. We were living in Belga. Yeah, we were living in Belga on Tangmere Way. And I like to kind of um, put in the names of streets, if I remember them, just because there's a lot of you that'll be listening to this podcast or watching one of my live streams or Instagram and be like, fucking hell, that's right around the corner. So that was our home. But then when Alaska passed away, I had many a home. In the five years that I was stuck in addiction, I had many a homes. Immediately, my first home's for the first couple of years were hotels and I could pretty confidently say that I was in different hotels nearly every single week and that was for the prostitution. Well, I'll tell you what, the only home that I had was the home I had with Alaska and there was no fucking way that I was going to allow for dirty deeds is how I put it or, or this new lifestyle that I had taken on in the home of such precious memories with him. And this is the fucked up thing. People think that when you're on drugs and hard drugs that you're just so scattered and you don't know what the fuck you're doing. The thing is, I knew that this wasn't Nicola, that this wasn't Nick's. The taking the drugs, the fucking selling your body and all of this. Nick's never did this stuff. So I had enough sense, even though I was drowning in drug addiction, I had enough sense to know, don't take that fucking shit back to that house, you know. So anyways, that's why I was living in hotels. You know, I'm not going to talk about in depth about the prostitution and stuff like this on this particular podcast. We'll save that for another one. But a big, massive part of the addiction is the hotels. When you're, when you're prostituting and things like that, that's an addiction in itself. And the meeting people, 
people constantly coming in, you know, every single person that comes in, it's a different vibe, it's a different experience, the conversation's different, it's, it's just like, and then to top that off, you've got hotel rooms, um, different settings, different layouts, fresh sheets, all of this stuff falls into that um, and it becomes a part of the fucking addiction as well. You become addicted to the fresh sheets and stuff like that. So like I said, for the first couple of years of my addiction, that then became my home. Towards the last year of my addiction, I had moved from Perth where I had a pretty good setup. You know, I, I had met quite a few people. I had made some really good connections and things like that. But then I moved to Melbourne. And the, the reason that we moved to Melbourne was obviously to get closer to New Zealand because the plan was to get back home to New Zealand. So we get over to Melbourne and my new home is this big double garage I'll tell you how we found it. We were sitting in a car park and we were homeless and we were sitting in our car in a car park and we were having drugs, me and my partner at the time. Anyways, we look over and we see this young fella and uh, I says to my partner, I need, a, I need to sell some of these drugs. So I go over there and ask that fucking young fella if he wants to buy some. So he gets out of the car, he goes over there, young fella comes over, yet sure enough he, he's actually looking to buy some, so he jumps in the back seat. We sit there, um, you know, I end up selling him some drugs and we start having a conversation, hey, you know, we just fucking moved to Melbourne and we got quite a bit of gear that we need to push, fuck, would you mind fucking selling it for us, you know, and every time you run out, you come back to us and we'll hook you up and happy days, you know. This fella's keen, he's born and bred in Melbourne, so it was like, oh, fucking choice, we needed somebody from Melbourne that knew the place and that had some connections with, you know, people that would buy this stuff. Anyways, while we're sitting there and we're having a big smoke up with him and getting to know this fella, um, he says, hey, I know this, um, if you, I mean, if you're only staying in your car, I know this big fucking double garage. We always stop down there and, you know, do some business in this big massive garage. We don't know who owns it because it's bang smack in the middle of two massive apartment complexes. And so we think that this complex thinks that the other one owns it and that one thinks the other, you know, so it's pretty much just this big abandoned double garage in the middle of fucking Footscray in Melbourne. We says, oh, well, take us down there. So he takes us down there. Next minute, like we walk in and this fucking double garage, half of it's filled literally with rubbish bags. And it's fucking stink. It's disgusting. It's got spray paint all over the walls and everything. Yeah, it's just a fucking sh dark, cold shithole. <laughs> but it was now our new home. So there was no power. There was no water. Um, there was just rubbish bags everywhere. There were fucking rats running around. And what I did was I have always been that person, and a lot of people don't agree with it, and I don't give a fuck, but I have always been that person to dumpster dive. 
I think that's the term that they've given it, dumpster diver or, um, you know, have a look at all the stuff that is donated to Salvation Army, to the bins and stuff like that. And the reason that I didn't give a fuck is because I was like, these people are donating this stuff to the poor. And bitch, I am poor as fuck. <laughs> um, and they are donating it to me because I fall into their fucking category. Um, and so anyways, I'm dumpster diving and stuff like that after we've found this garage because I'm like, fuck, I need to deck this garage out. I need to turn it into a home. I find all these sheets. I find all these curtains. I go to Bunnings and I literally steal fucking wire so that I can use it as curtain rods or whatnot, curtain wire, I hang these sheets and these fucking curtains right across from one side of the garage to the other side, and on one side, like, up against the back wall, I've got all the fucking rubbish bags, I've pushed them all to the back wall, and then I've got this big massive wall of curtains and sheets, and then there's this lovely clean fucking area on this side. And this was my new home now. Um, obviously, it still smelt like rubbish, um, but nothing some incense wouldn't get rid of. What I ended up doing as well is I needed a bed because I didn't want to sleep on the fucking floor with the rats. So I had found a base just down the road from this garage out the front of somebody's house, um, dragged it back, put it in there, um, we ended up getting a mattress so now we had a bed in terms of cooking because the ground was fully concrete what we did was we took a trolley because the supermarket was just down the road took it back to the house to the garage and flipped it upside down and we built a fire underneath the trolley on the inside and we used the top of the trolley uh, as a grill and we got, you know, the silver lining trays that you can get for like a barbecue or something like that. We got a couple of those from the supermarket and we put that on top and now we had an oven pretty much. So we had this fucking burning fire in this garage um, and we just opened up the windows, you know, and you would think, fuck, weren't you scared? Like there was sometimes I was totally fucking scared. I was scared someone was going to be like, holy fuck, that garage is burning and come in and, and suss us out or something like that. But nobody really gave a fuck. So that totally worked in our favour. So then what we would do, because we had money, but this is how strong our addiction was. We needed our money for our drugs. And so if there was anything that I could steal, you know, this is really hard. If you've never been in active addiction or anything like that I can just imagine how fucked up this must be like listening to me and listening to other people that talk about it and that's all right you know you can't relate and I'm fucking happy that you can't relate but for me I needed those drugs more than I needed fucking food I needed those drugs pretty much more than I needed fucking air and the reason is because the drugs helped me not realize how much of a fucking mess of my life I had made after the death of my son. I knew deep down there were so many fucking things I could have done differently. But the fact of the matter is I'm here. I was there now. And I needed those drugs to help me 
to block all of that guilt out of my life. And so that's why I would rather save every fucking dollar that we had for drugs so that I could continue to keep that wall up between me and my reality as opposed to spend the money on fucking food. I could steal the food. And so that's what we would do for dinner. We would, I would go down to the um, Woolworths and I would steal a couple of steaks. I'd steal some mushrooms. I'd steal some onions. I'd steal some tomatoes. I would spend $1 on a bread. Um, I'd steal oil. I'd steal a little bit of garlic. I was, I was still fucking being, you know, the naked chef Jamie Oliver on a fucking budget. I was still swore that I was going to eat good. So anyways, this was our home. This is this was my new home. Living in this garage, cooking off the fucking a bonfire with on top of a trolley, and that was it. Then, after a few months of living like that, I just got so fucking sick of it. It was literally disgusting. The way in which we showered was we would spend, it was $5 for a casual visit to the local gym. And so every, oh, honestly, every like three or four days, we would um, spend $5 each and go down to the gym just for a shower. And I'd normally do it in the early, early hours of the morning just to beat like fucking prying eyes. Because <laughs> there were like lots of people in the gym working out in there and then they'd see us walk in and we just look like fucking shit. Look like we'd been up for days and stuff like that and we'd just go straight in, have a shower and walk straight out of the gym. So that's how we showered. After a couple of months, like I said, I got absolutely sick of living like that. And so, oh my God, what we did for our next home was we had found a storage facility the only thing that was standing between us and our new home, which was in the shape or in the form of a motorhome, was a fucking padlock. That was it. So out with the bolt cutters at, I think it was midnight, we pulled up. And, it, and just remember, this is out in the outskirts of town in Melbourne. We pulled up. We had a truck that was stolen. And we pulled up in the middle of the night. He jumps out with the bolt cutters. We cut that fucking chain. We drive around and he's pretty much like, babe, what one do you want? And there's, in the middle of this paddock, there's all these fucking motorhomes and camper vans and caravans. And I see this big, massive one. And I said, that's the one that I want. That's my new home right there. So anyway, we jump out. I reverse it up. We jump out, hook it on to the back of our truck. And boom, that was us. We drove out, drove off, drove back to Melbourne. And what we did was we used some of our money and went into a, um, went into a caravan park. We paid for a month up front, backed our, our new camper van into this caravan park, into this spot, and boom. That was our new home. Um, pulled out the paints and fucking gave it a good paint job. So, oh my God, this is so fucked up. Honestly, even when I think about it now, I'm like, fucking hell, Nicola. But hey, this is shit. This is what I went through. This was how I survived. And this is all these 
fucked up shit is what got me to where I am today. And out of a way, you know, I wish it was more of a straight line. But uh, fuck, it is what it is. And and that's where our that was our new home for the next couple of next couple of months, I'd say. Yeah, next couple of months. So and that was cool. Inside this motorhome or camper van was a big, massive double bed. It had our own table, had our own oven and, and cooking stove. And we had drawers and we had, you know, storage. And I'd say this fucking camper van was about good 20-something thousand dollars worth. Oh, my God. And so that's where we lived. I would still go down the road and steal our food and stuff like that, come back and cook it, cook it in, in our, uh, you know, camper van on our cool little stove top with the pots and all of this. So it was like a little upgrade from the double garage, but it was still fucked up because, you know, holy wreck. And then from there, after a couple of months, we had found somewhere to, an actual house. So it belonged to a young lady who a new partner had started selling for us as well. And she just lived in this big, massive fucking four-bedroom home with a big, massive garage all by herself. Um, and so we kind of moved into the garage area and we would just pay our rent by fucking giving a little bit of methamphetamine. Um, so this became our new house. Then we thought, fuck, what are we going to do with this um, big camper van in there? You know, how, what are we going to do with that? Um, so we ended up trying to sell it. And uh, I think we got set up for that because we, the agreement was to meet a guy at this hotel at 10 o'clock at night, which is fucked up. You know, I should have alarm bells right there, but... Anyway, we pull up. Um, the The deal was for five grand for the for the camper van and the truck as well. So for both of them, five grand. So we pull up into this car park, and we're sitting there, sitting there. Next minute, we're swarmed with fucking police. Off down to the cells. I'm not going to go into depth about how the fuck we got off that, but let me tell you what I fucking lied through my teeth. And there's, if you know me, you know there's heaps of holes in my teeth. And I just lied my way out of that. And somehow I ended up getting out of that. Yeah. And then we ended up getting getting set free. I think we got out pretty much the next day um, from lockup. And I remember they had the camper van and the truck in this big, massive facility waiting to be searched by the police. So it just kind of sat there in this big storage and so what I did was I actually wrote a letter to the officer, the, the lady that um, arrested me in the car park at that hotel, and I wrote a letter to her and I said, hey, look, I'm fucking homeless and uh, in that camper van is all my fucking belongings. That's all I have to my name. So, you know, I'm begging you to let me go into that camper van and get out my fucking belongings. Otherwise, honestly, I have no choice but to go and start stealing all the way down to fucking underwear. I'm going to have to go and steal. And I took that fucking letter into her at the police station and she read it and she said, look, um, I'm going to call the, the place where they were holding the camper van and the truck. I'm going to call them and you're going to have a one-hour window to go down there Go through that fucking camper van, get your shit out of there, and get the fuck out of there. 
Um, and I said, sweet. And I'll be honest with you guys, that camper van was filled with incriminating shit. Shit that we had stolen from other vehicles. from, And I needed to get the fuck in there to get that shit out. Otherwise, we were going to be done for all of that stuff. So we drive down there to the place where they had it, you know, where the police were holding it. And sure enough, for one hour, we had full access to that camper van. So we cleaned that fucker right out. Filled up our car, took everything out there. Shit, I nearly pulled out the spray and wipe for prints. <laughs> oh, God, I shouldn't be laughing, but um, yeah, that's what happened, guys. So anyway, now we're at this um, house and we're living at this house. And, uh, you know, all is good for the, for a few months. And then I end up in jail for what they thought was the arms robbery, which you will hear more about on my other podcast um, that I did talking about my experience in jail. Four years later, what does home for me look like now? Me and my family are currently living in Wellington. We are renting at the moment. We've got this big, beautiful old home, um, and it's massive. It's it's not flesh or anything like that, but it's massive for all our kids. Um, if you don't know, I have my two children um, full custody, and they are 11 and 12. My partner has his two children, and they are 10 and 12. And then we have a Whangai child. A family member of ours lives in Kaitaia, which is way at the North Island. And she has got a 12-year-old son. We just fucking thought, we'll, we'll just ask her and see what she says. And we asked her if we could have him for a term of school to get him out of Kaitaia, which is real country and small town, and to bring him down to Wellington to kind of see what else is out there and stuff like that. Um, and she agreed. So we're into the second term now <laughs> with having him in our home. And so our home is big enough for all five children now. And it's just so homely. It's, you know, it, like I said, it's not flash or anything like that, but fuck, everything in there is ours. It doesn't make me cringe in terms of reflecting on how I accumulated our stuff. I look around and I'm like, yeah, no, I didn't have to steal that. I, I brought that. I worked my ass off for that. You know, when I think about all the homes that I've had and stuff like, and the experiences that I've had, it really, really makes me have more gratitude for where we are today and the homes that I've built for our children. My, my goals now is to buy a farm um, so that our children can have that farming experience. I'll let you in on what my vision and what my dream looks like. My dream looks like a farm, big lovely farmhouse, French doors out onto a lovely deck, sun blazes in through those, those French doors. In the lounge, big massive fireplace, you chuck, sit there on the couch and listen to the popping of the fire blazing at night kids all on the mattresses in the lounge and we're all watching movies, popcorn being passed around. And in the morning, we wake up, go into the kitchen, open up the windows, sun's 
beaming on through the kitchen and we're making pancakes and bacon and, you know, waffles with maple syrup and butter dripping all over the place. Kids are all gathered around the table. Once we've finished up with breakfast, kids go outside and they ride the motorbikes all around the farm. We've got a big, massive double garage there and inside there is a pool table, darts, a big stereo, couches for the children and that's their hangout area, you know. So that's my dream. That's, that's what we're working towards now, me and my partner, and that's the home that we want for our family. So the reason that I wanted to do this podcast today and talk about homes is because I am literally sitting in the home that I was brought up in. This is the place where I ran around with a nappy on or maybe even no nappy. Who knows? And it's just really, really a humbling experience. It just always kind of makes me reflect. And especially when I think back to some of the fucking places that I've laid my head down at nights in yeah, it just really makes me grateful for where I am today. Um, And, you know, I just want to put this out there as well. Sometimes we've had to do some fucked up shit. Sometimes we've had to stay in some fucked up dwellings. In those fucked up moments or in those moments of struggle, no matter where you are, no matter what you're doing, it just feels like you've got to hold on to the edge of the life raft until you get out of that storm. And I feel as though reflecting back, that's exactly what I fucking did. I was just holding on to those life rafts and doing what I had to do. I mean, when I even think back to the times of me going and stealing a steak, little things like me going to a supermarket now and pulling out my wallet and paying for a fucking steak, that shit makes me grateful. The fact that I can pull a frying pan out and cook on it instead of fucking building a fire underneath a trolley in some fucked up garage, that makes me grateful. The fact that I go to a hotel now, just purely for leisure. I don't have to be working in that hotel to get the next one. I don't have to be selling myself. That stuff makes me grateful. Other things, there was plenty of times that I had to do some really fucked up things with people just so that I could have a roof over my head for the night. I don't have to do that now. That makes me grateful. You know, when I look at my children and I see them lying in their beds at night now with a roof over their head and their bellies are full and just to know that I worked my ass off to make that shit happen, And I didn't have to degrade myself and fucking do shit that went against my morals and my values to make that shit happen. That makes me grateful. And to be honest, the fact that I even get to see my children, that makes me fucking grateful. So, whānau, I I do know a lot of people that say, oh, you shouldn't, shouldn't go back to the past. You're not in the past. You're in the future. But hey, it's good to remember where the fuck you came from so you know exactly where you're heading. And for me, I know no matter where I'm heading, it ain't never going to be anywhere like where I fucking came from. So that's me for today, guys. I hope you've enjoyed my podcast. And I'll see you next week right here on Wellness Fucking Wednesday with Nick.